Co-ops have come a long way from when a group of farmers and associated industries would get together to pool their resources and their products to ensure they increase their profitability. Hello, I'm Melina Morrison, CEO of the Business Council of Cooperatives and Mutuals, or BCCM, and this is the latest in our Meet the Co-op Farmers series of podcasts. In this episode, BCCM's Michael Kavanagh takes a look not at co-ops, but how they need to cope with changed expectations. Melina, you're right. You and BCCM, when advising on how to set up a cooperative, not only have to look at the product itself, but also how the operation would function. And this is not only with emerging co-ops, but also in some cases, ones that may have been operating for over a century. Stephen Shepherd is the head of Altus Q, and he spends time with the various co-ops well-established and also in their infancy, providing advice and direction. Over 20 years ago, when we started out as Q, we, we saw the market of consultancies being largely in two groups. You had people like the McKinsey's of the world who come in and tell you are stupid and, and research the market and give you very smart things that you needed to do. Um, and then they would write you very long reports and tell you this is what you need to do. Uh, on the other side, there was this burgeoning coaching piece that look at the humans and the people, and they would come in and they'd give you a cuddle and they'd work out who you are and why you exist and very useful again, but no one was really joining the two. So no one was saying, who are you as a person? What gets you up in the morning? Why, why do you do what you do? And joining that with, well, how do you remain viable? How do you remain vibrant and sustainable over the next 20 years in choosing what you do? And so we started our business with that thing. You need to get the strategy right and you need to get the people and the passion right and join those two. And so when coming to work with co-ops and mutuals, what we found was they are perfect for that philosophy. Because in a sense, you've got groups of people coming together who do similar things, who've got similar desires in life, um, who've got similar needs, who come together to achieve often initially quite specific things, but over time that can grow out. So what I've found over the last number of years is that by combining the strategy and the passion you can get groups of people working cooperatively together uh, for some very clear and agreed aims and have a better chance of achieving those aims and remaining in business together cooperatively over a long period of time. Co-ops have a long history, not just in Australia, but even greater history, particularly in Europe, and they're embedded very much in the day-to-day economy. Co-ops here in Australia, very much aligned with the primary production area of the economy. And you've got, say, five farmers originally got together in a dairy co-op in 1920. And then they grow. Really, if they've grown and they've done well and they've survived 100 years down the track, what then can an operation like yours bring to not just the co-ops, but you also mentioned mutuals, and we're seeing a growth in mutuals again as well, a resurgence. What really yeah. then can you bring them? Well, it's, it starts with when I, when I, when I start talking to either the board or the, the CEO, I'm very interested in what you said, the story. So what brought them together, you know, back in 
back in the day, back in 2005, in the, in the case of uh, Casino Foucault, who are abattoirs up in Casino, I mean, they joined in 1933. And when I, when I asked uh, John, the chairman, well, what was it that brought these people together? It was really interesting what the story was, that uh, they, they felt they were being ripped off by the Sydney markets and they needed to band together to make sure that they were getting the right price for their, for their meat. And what was interesting about that was that it was very clear that they said, we want to share in the fruit of their labour. And so before starting the strategy session, I got very clear about why does this organisation exist? And I was curious to know as to why they started their organisation way back when was still true. And what was interesting was there were a couple of people in that room in the exec and in the board who didn't know that story. And so we started with that story and went right back to if we were starting this co-op again, what was important then and how is that transpired today? And is it still true today? Are some of, some of those things still true? How's it changed? And where we ended up to after a really rich conversation, and these conversations are about bringing people together. And it's about getting people on the same page because they come from different walks of life. You've got grower members who are on the board and you know they are living and breathing this every, every day. You've got execs, some of whom live in the local towns, some of which have been flown in. You've got board members. Um, many of them are grower members, as I said, but sometimes you will have external who come from other corporate backgrounds. And so how do you bind them together to ensure that they have a very similar idea of that base question of why do we exist? And after a really rich conversation for, for that organisation, they came up with a phrase of everyone grows together. And what that meant for them is, and, and the beauty of co-ops, is this is not about making profits for today. Profits are important, don't get me wrong. Profits guarantee sustainability. Profits allow you to invest back into the business. Profits allow you to do all the things that you want to do moving forward in that business. But they said everyone needs to grow together. By that means, the growers need to have their businesses growing together. The employees, the staff members who live in that local town need to have their career growing and, and prospering. The town itself, Casino, the Casino Foucault and Norco, who's another one of the, another um, large co-op in that town, that region of Lismore um, and uh, Casino, they're the largest employers. So, what does that mean? What's the responsibility of those large organisations to the town to be putting back into the town, to be contributing to the fabric of the town? And so by ensuring those core stakeholders can grow together and share in the fruit of their labour, that's the basis in which then I can start to build a strategy that is going to resonate with those various stakeholders but also have a greater chance of, of seeing the course through. So that's where it starts. If I, if I take another, another group down the, the end of the country or South Country in South Australia, 
they are very, you know, it's a, it's a very small business compared to the food co-op. Um, they started in 1998 and it's the limestone fishers. And so they are lobster fishermen. And it started, and actually this was interesting because this was during COVID that I was introduced to them and had never met them. And so I'm talking to these fantastic, smart, grizzled, salt of the earth, and I apologise for the pun, but salt of the earth fishers who bandied together in 1998 because they were concerned that the corporates were coming in and enticing the local fishers to sell their produce to them. This is where China was, was buying at fairly high rate. But what they were concerned about was this money was going out of their communities. So these are very proud, multi-generational families that have grown up together, know each other really well, and kids go to school. And what they were doing was they were seeing increasingly the profits of their, of their labour going out to a corporate who had shareholders in Sydney, in Melbourne, in wherever, um, that they got to benefit from it, but the, the community didn't get to benefit as much. So, and they had no transparency over the prices. They didn't know what the real market was. They didn't really trust what was being told to them. So they bandied together with that view of, let's have something where everything is put back in the middle. Everything we make, we go into, we produce together, we will sell together. And interestingly, they, um, they bandied together with Geraldton organization, Co-op, who'd been around for a long time. Now, this is, this is another thing about Co-ops. You're not competing with each other, even though you could say that they're competing in the same markets for the same fish. You've got a more established business saying, hey, we'll help you. And this is where BCCM were fantastic because they facilitated that conversation and said, why don't you guys talk to each other? Because these guys have done everything you're wanting to do. And maybe they can help you go a bit straight or a bit, you know, some of the bit of a bit of learn from a bit of the bark off their, off, off their shoulders from, you know, falling down. And so they formed a fantastic alliance within the two co-ops to A, get them out of the ground, but B, to help actually help them market and sell their, their product to the same market. So here are some examples of co-ops working together, but why are they doing that? They're doing that so that the towns will thrive. So they actually said, we want our, when I asked them the same question, they said, we want our towns to thrive. We just don't want the growers to thrive. We want to make sure that the, the money that we get from our re rare resource, that we have a privilege to be able to harvest, we want to make sure that that's sustainable for generations beyond us. We want to make sure that the towns that we, you know, the, the fishing villages along the limestone coast will benefit long-term from our, our involvement. And so that's why they got together. And so I love those two stories because for me, it, it brings together the why. And as, a, as someone who comes in and wanting to understand the strategy or to build the strategy, if I start with the why, if I start with the passion, then I can make sure that we're building a strategy that makes sense. Well, you mentioned two uh, seafood co-ops, the very large organisation based at Geraldton in, in WA. Then you've got Limestone in South Australia. You've also got places like Norco on the far north coast of New South Wales, a massive dairy operation, casino foods. Mm. You've also got a growth in the smaller 
co-ops. Now, you come along and we're also seeing a growth in paddock to plate and often you go to markets mm-hmm. and there's complementary operations, people that, say, produce pork and they, yes. they work closely with um, someone that's got some nuts and uh, spices that would go well. Is there also the need in your area of expertise and the marketing and drawing them together of getting co-ops, not just lending each other like the IP of the two fish co-ops, but possibly bringing together Hmm. what appears initially to be unrelated co-ops and yet they should be looking at that marketing? There's certainly sense in that. So the, the cliche here is reinventing the wheel. The, the cliche here is, well, you're, 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 you're competing in a large market. How do you make sure that you provide that, that in to the various markets? And, and that requires some expertise. That requires a story. Um, so by banding together as part of a cooperative, it is far uh, more cost effective for you to build a brand to market your particular wares as you know, Riverina or as Limestone Coast. So by actually building a brand, building a story, but then more particularly having the grunt and you need, uh, if you're going to, if you're going to make it with a Coles or a Woolies or, or you know, a, a reasonable distribution um, to get some, uh, to get some consistency and sale, or, or if you are in the in the course of the the lobsters, going to the China market when the China market shuts down, right? Well, what you know? How do we go to Thailand? How do we how do we re- reposition our fish for the Australian market? Having having an organisation that can actually have the pooled resources, the pooled finance, to be able to employ either an agency and or in house. To come up with those strategies of building brand, building uh, market positioning and distribution strategies and relationships, it's very difficult to do that when you're one, two, three, five farmers. And so, if you can do that at a broader scale, it makes sense. If you are one, two, three, four, five, it's a lower scale, but the the principles still stand. How do we pool our resources? How do we pool our ideas? And to achieve a, a particular aim. So whether you're whether you're working at the scale of, and mind you, you know, limestone, uh, you know, in the in the market are still relatively small, but they've been able to make themselves larger through um, cooperating together, but also cooperating with um, an adjacent, or in this case, you know, the Geraldton, um, adjacent, not necessarily geographically, but certainly market-wise. So having having those um, pieces are really important. Um, another example of this, um, and unfortunately it didn't quite work, but the idea behind it was fantastic. A few years ago, you might recall there was a, there was a, a, a lot of blow up around live exports of, of cattle, and there were um, calls for for, or in fact we were banned for for a period of time in key market, and that that completely disrupted the business model of people in the middle of. Uh, in the in the middle of Queensland, and you know we're talking about a, a million million head of cattle from uh, Townsville through to uh, Mount Isa and all, all the way through through there, and so uh, Casino Food Corp actually worked alongside them to actually help them come together to work out how do we change our business model over a period of time from a reliance on the export of cattle 
through to potentially processing it and building building a centre in the middle of where we actually are, so that we can not put them on uh, put them on trucks for three thousand kilometres or whatever, but actually process closer to closer to time. Now, unfortunately, you might recall that, uh, and they had a they had a meeting. I facilitated the meeting. Um, this was sponsored by a Casino Food Co-op, which was a terrific example of co-ops cooperating together. And they came up with some plans. It's still, you know, still in its infancy, but you had you had the kernel of an idea there. Unfortunately, a couple of months later, there was the, the flooding through there and very cold weather, which resulted in four or five hundred thousand cows head being lost. Uh, you know, just devastated that area. So that unfortunately got shelved. When they rebuild, that might come back up. But it's an example again of people coming together who are, who are working in their own farms with a collective issue that they want to resolve and prove. And that's that's typically where, whether you're small scale, large scale, that's where cooperatives or, or and mutuals really work when you've got a common goal, a common problem, or a common opportunity that you can't crack yourself. This is Meet the Co-op Farmers podcast. I'm Michael Kavner. I'm talking to Stephen Shepherd, who's the owner of Altus Q, and looking at how expertise such as coaching and bringing together different co-ops, whether they be large or small, can uh, market themselves just that bit more efficiently. Stephen, the issue of we're seeing lately incredible disasters around the country, particularly on the East Coast with flooding and bushfires. There's the growth, not just in the more traditional primary production co-ops, the mutuals, they seem to be going through a resurgence as well. Mm. What about because we are seeing this unfortunate uh, expansion and of uh, disasters, you also work closely with regional councils and in particular in the area of insurance. Does that go down the co-op path? How do you work with them? Yeah, it's a, it's interesting. The um, it's a civic risk mutual. So um, it, uh, it was formed in the late 80s um, as a result of councils. Back, back then, um, it's actually not dissimilar to, to now, there are, there are a number of circumstances that meant that insurances were just going through the roof, public liability in particular. And so it was becoming increasingly prohibitive for councils to insure themselves, get coverage, the expertise. They didn't have the expertise. It's really difficult if you're in the, if you're in the middle of New South Wales in Wagga to get someone who's got real risk experience to negotiate also working one off with uh, with with different brokers etc do we trust them do we do they have our best interests at heart um, am i really getting the right rate under not understanding the market and feeling exposed from that and so that that led to civic risk mutual being uh, born um, back in 1988 and they they've now grown um, since that time they've now got 26 uh, councils mainly in, through New South Wales um, manage the assets about thirty odd percent of the of of councils, and you can imagine that's a, that's a very large numbers. And where where this strategy, so they have they have um, pooled their resources, they self insure for 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 some of these things, 
Um, but more particularly, they've now got enough clout in the market where they can get decent prices. They can get more interesting product mixes. And certainly through the, the recent floods and, and fires, et cetera, and a lot of their councils were right in the firing line of, of that floods in particular. What that meant was that those, those costs were being borne across a wider group. And they have a mechanism that's very transparent. And so one of the core principles of any, of any successful co-op is transparency. You, ne you need to be very transparent about how you charge people, where the funds get used, how they get used. I'll come back to that a bit later. But in this case, um, they, um, they managed through a lot of hard work, but also the work that had been done over many years to mitigate that risk. And yes, there were costs, but they, would not, they were not catastrophic for for any any particular now there are some councils there that are really licking their wounds right now but it would have been catastrophic if it wasn't for this this these pooled uh, solutions and so for me that's a real example of them coming together now the interesting thing about um, civic risk and I did their their five year strategy a couple of years in in fact I'm I'm facilitating their their members forum next week. And sitting, sitting down with the board a couple of weeks ago, we were looking at you know, what have they achieved, et cetera. But the process to achieve that planning is probably instructional when it comes not only for mutuals, but for, for co-ops in general. So we started with talking to members. And people talk about member engagement, et cetera, and often it's a tick, but how do you properly engage with your members? How do you ensure that you have a, a proper two-way, not this is what we're doing for you, aren't we good, pay your, pay your premiums next year. It's how are we going, how are you going, what do you need from us? It's a, it's a two-way conversation backed by proper, proper dedicated resourcing to manage that member relationship and to make sure that you've got a funnel for ideas, complaints, all of those things so that the relationship's real. The relationship with your members, they're not customers, they are your shareholders, they're your members. So it is a very different relationship from customers. And so, and they are your customers, so you need to remember that as well. So we made sure that we had surveys, we had forums, they have forums every year, um, where we have open conversation about what's working, what do you need, what's the next piece that you're looking for. And there is a in and out process that's followed over several months to come up with any change in strategy, which is go to the members, get the sense of what their issues are, come back with some premises, go to the members, we're thinking of doing this. And of course, the board is made up of, of, the, of representatives of the various councils as well, as are most uh, cooperative boards made, made up of the grower members themselves. So you've got that representation at board level, but you've also got a real two-way conversation happening with the members. And so uh, another company, uh, Arm & Co down south, do that very well. They have a grower relations person who's, that's their job. And I'll come back to Arm & Co um, a little bit later. But so with Civic Risk, we were at pains to get that intel. We then, I then sat down with the exec team because they do understand the business. What's, what's happening? I sat down with the board, got their story. And so we, we got their why, were the, why did they first why did they first um, become a mutual? Um, we wrote that story up as the plan. So the, the plan is, starts with why do we exist? Who are we? 
what are our principles? And they came up with wonderful principles of open book. This is how we are. We are transparent. Um, that builds trust. They think value mutuality, what you put in, you get out. So how do they ensure that the members aren't there sitting back, that they're active participants? So there's a lot of work that goes into making sure that each member plays an active part in sharing their skills, their knowledge, and is an active member of the of the mutual. And that, for me, is part of the success of, of mutuals when or cooperatives when you do have that back and forth amongst the members. So that that's an example of then we took that when we took the draft plan back to the membership we gave them a copy of it and then we ran a forum 50 people in the room what do you think what's missing here are the priorities that the boards come up with do you agree that these are the priorities real conversation and off the back of that conversation was captured we then make sure that that is then added into the document so that back and forth in any process to ensure that the, the intent of the purpose leads into what the members want and what they're feeling and needing now into the strategy is, is a key part of any, any process. Michael Kavner, I'm speaking today to Stephen Shepherd, who's the owner of Altus Q. It's part of the Business Councils of Co-ops and Mutuals Meet the Co-op Farmers podcast. Stephen, you recently took part in a roundtable on agriculture with co-ops pushed along by BCCM, and you've been talking about mutuals, insurance, and obviously there were co-ops. They've also got to look at their costs. What came through from that roundtable? Was there this affirmation that really, regardless, we'll always go with a mutual or a co-op orientated business, or the bottom line still is uh, we're being offered a better financial deal by a non-mutual, non-co-op insurance operation. Yeah. It's an interesting conversation that is often had with membership. And one of the one of the the, the great things about um, cooperatives, especially agricultural cooperatives, by definition, agricultural cycles go over a long period of time. Um, so, you know, it, it boom and bust, rain, drought, and uh, markets opening, closing. And so over a period of time, over a five, ten-year period of time, there is going to be, um, it's not all the same. So being able to actually ride through that to ensure that over overarching that long cycle, the aims, needs uh, of, of the membership are, are achieved through appropriate uh, reinvestment, maybe taking a little bit off the table in the good years and putting it and reinvesting it back and then paying that out to people in a in a in a smaller year. So so that's that's key to uh, ensure that that long term view can be can be held. The conversation the conversation uh, at the round table was was interesting. Some of the themes that came through was um, how do we tell our story better to to government and to the market as a whole? So from an Australian perspective, there is so much value in having co-ops because you the jobs are local. The, reg, the regional piece, the investment is local. 
um, you don't have you don't have funds going off offshore or off into the cities. They uh, they stay within their their local communities largely. Um, you do have people who take a long term view and reinvestment view. The they employ they you know to take to take the uh, the, the Norco uh, Casino Food Co-op Group. They employ a huge number of Australians and rural Australians. So having that better understood by by governments and by the public at large um, was one of the one of the themes that came up and and obviously um, well not obviously but BCCM one of their core aims is to help messaging to Canberra and to Macquarie Street and to the various to ensure that those messages are not lost and that policy is over time built to support mutuals and co-ops. So that was that was one of the that was one of the core things. Another another core uh, piece came out. It was what I was talking about before: the power of collective co-ops. So co-ops working co- collaboratively with co-ops, and the North Beef piece, the Geraldton uh, Limestone Coast piece. They're examples of cooperatives working together. A number of co-ops in the uh, Lismore or Northern Rivers area getting together around brand. So they're examples of different co-ops coming together to actually support a, a common um, opportunity or issue. Then they they may have their members have a common problem with development or a common desire to get something built infrastructure-wise. They can come together to actually work together for those same aims. Or or maybe maybe they need to come up together with a, a renewable energy opportunity that they couldn't afford by themselves, but by banding together in a region, maybe they could. So they're the sorts of creative ideas. Um, and the beauty of cooperatives is at their heart is just that cooperative, being working in cooperation with each other rather than in co- in competition with each other. And and I think that's a that's a real benefit of of that model and that mindset that allows people to be more creative, less guarded about things. But hey, how do we grow? How do we grow things to mutual benefit, rather than being worried about well, you're selling your stuff at the markets that I'm selling it at. And so, for that certainly came through as as part of those open forums. And I think that there was a lot of there's a, there a lot of nodding in the room when people were were listening to some of the stories of uh, that, that came through from that forum. Stephen, the regional areas have been experiencing growth largely due to COVID, and people also probably caught up in housing prices in the uh, larger cities, yeah. and therefore they're moving into these areas. Is there a need you've talked about the marketing of the product in and banding mm. together when you've been dealing with co-ops in particular and a co-op would have been in a in a farming area since 1920 1930 they've been there a long time yeah. is there though the need you go into a town and you'll see an iga not realizing in fact that's owned by a co-op or the petrol station in that town is owned yes. by the co-op. Yes. From that marketing point of view, is there also the need for the next generation coming in to be aware of mutuals and co-ops because the co-ops themselves are enjoying a resurgence? I think there's there's two there's two parts to that story. I'm I'm, I'm going to diverge and then I'll come back if that's all right. 
Firstly, over, I mean, no, no industry through COVID, et cetera, has been, has every, every industry that I work in, I work in across sectors, uh, resourcing. If you talk about what the number one issue is, it's finding and keeping people, talented people, or people who can do the job. And, uh, and certainly in small towns, being able to attract and then retain families in those towns that, that can grow and be part of that, have their family members come through. So a, a large part of cooperative strategy is to make sure that the environment that you're creating is such that the sons, the daughters, the nieces, the nephews want to come through and work for the same organisation. If you take a Norco, if you take a casino food group, um, if you if you take um, certainly the, the fishing communities, a large part of it is how do you get how do you get that as being, oh, my, my mother works for the co-op and have that as a really great thing. And then that's, that goes through the schools. So there, there are a couple of parts to this. One is how do, you, how do you ensure that, especially as a co-op or a mutual is growing, how do you ensure that the people within that organisation grow with it? So back to the everyone grows together. So... During the recent downturn for the uh, the abattoirs, the, the the exec and board made a very brave decision. They said, "We are going to hold on to a large part of our workforce, even though we don't have we don't have the we don't have the meat from the process with the drought, uh, with the drought breaking, and everyone keep holding on to and their, their, their females in particular. But we we need we know it's going to come back, and we need to hold on to these people, and these people need to hold on to their jobs." So how do we do that and how do we make the most out of this? So they had a conversation, a very mature conversation with people saying, listen, over the last number of years, you've had a lot of overtime, et cetera, and I'm hoping that you've put that into your houses, et cetera, but how over the next few years it's going to be less, but we're, we're going to invest in you. And so we built a program for 110 people for their leading hands through to the board to build their leadership capability, to build their mentor, um, uh, management capability, to build them as people. And that was a significant investment, significant amount of time, but also to build the culture of the place so that when we did, when the, the market opened up again, that those people would be in place, but they would also be better placed to coach and mentor the people then being recruited into the business. So that's the first piece. How do you invest properly in your people to make sure they grow as humans within the job? The second piece is how do you ensure in those local communities that the word is out? How do you get your brand out? So casino, I keep coming back to, but they're very active in their local community. They um, they sponsor the local helicopter, does the care flights. They sponsor a, num a number of organisations, a number of events over the, over the year. They're heavily involved in talking to the schools about what they do and the, the breadth of opportunities that, that there are. So moving away from the, oh, you work at the Meatworks. Well, the Meatworks now is just so much more than that. So how do you get that message through? And, and how do you change a culture from an old school, do what I say, through to, and Meatworks were famous for this. Um, in fact, the, the brief that I was given by, um, by Simon Stahl, the CEO, was, Steve, I want to create, it's never been done before, I've started the job, but I want some help with it. I want to create a heart-centred culture built on compassion, 
out of Meatworks. Never been done. Don't know that it can be done, but I want to give it a red hot go. We've been doing this now for the last two years. And recently they're ordered. They get ordered all the time for a bunch of things. And the, the auditor came through and he's been doing it for a while. And he does it periodically. Uh, and he came through and he's given, he, he says, I'm going to interview Joe, Mary, Fred. And he says who he wants to interview. It's a cross board. It's union, non-union, et cetera. And uh, Simon and also the chair, John, were brought, said, listen, I'd like to have a meeting with you. And they're going, Jesus, okay, what's up? What's what's going on here? He said, I want to have a meeting with both of you. Okay, what have we done now? Sort of summoned to the schoolmaster's office. And he said, I've spoken to 40 people across your, your organisation. I've done the same process for a number of years now. What's going on? What do you mean what's going on? He said, despite most of them only working three days a week, they are talking in glowing terms about the care that the co-op has for them and their families, the care that the supervisors and the managers are showing for them about what's going on in their family or what's happening with their mental health and big mental health issues through rural Australia and, and the investment that this organisation's made in providing those services. And so the conversation had shifted to such a great extent but it started with the intent of everyone grows together and understanding that, well, what are we doing for our staff? And then putting a strategy in place to actually make that purpose come alive for that stakeholder group that had been left behind. And so what I love about co-ops is the ability or the, the ability to go back to your purpose and have a really good look at, well, what does it mean for the ground, for the uh, town to grow and prosper? What does it mean for the families in the thing? What does it mean for the members? And how do you make sure that we grow together? And so it's not seen as one against the other. And so I'm going, you're going to have to ask me the question again, because I've gone on a, uh, on a tangent here. But um, for me, coming back to rural Australia and, and getting the message out there, it, it is a multifaceted, multi-year approach to ensure that people want to A, um, join co-ops, B, start their own co-ops. And it's stories such as these that hopefully encourage people. It's the great work that Melina and her team at BCCM are doing to really get out there and get the word uh, across um, to, to, hey, you need to go and talk to so-and-so. And a large part of what they do is, well, okay, you're thinking of this. Why don't you go and talk to Fred? Why don't you go and talk to Melissa? Because they did this a few years ago and you could probably learn a few things from them about how they did it. And then here's a whole bunch of resources to help you get out of the ground. And here's a guy called Steve Shepherd who, once, when you're ready, can help you get your strategy set. So it's surrounding people with an ecosystem to actually make, make what might seem really difficult manageable and breaking it down step by step. This is how you start. You do this first. You get these group of people together. You get that charter together. You get this piece of documentation together. Then you come together and have this conversation. Then you put... So there are a number of steps and there are a number of very successful co-ops who have been down this path over many years who have paved the way for people as, as they come in and go, oh, God, I've got this problem I'm trying to solve or I've got this opportunity. I don't know how to do it. I think what I've seen certainly over the last five years is that collective wisdom has been brought together, documented, systemized in a way that is readily accessible now 
for for up and coming cooperatives, um, up and coming people who want to build cooperatives. Stephen Shepherd is the owner of Altus Q. He's my guest as part of the business councils of co-ops and mutuals meet the co-op farmers. And I'm Michael Kavanagh. Stephen, you mentioned earlier Almond Co in South Australia, yes. and then you also just uh, pointed to up and coming co-ops and operations. Now, you're strongly in support of places like Norco, Casino uh, Food Co-op, and in the West Coast, uh, the seafood co-ops there. We're also, something like Almond Co, for example, uh, yeah. we're seeing growth in horticulture, very much so. You also mentioned yeah. economic cycles. Now, people like Casino, yes. people may change what they purchase in a cut of meat, but they'll still buy meat. Norco, they'll keep buying their dairy product. They may change exactly what they buy because of inflation and what have you. How do you make sure that those up-and-coming co-ops in a bit more a niche market continue to thrive? Do you go and advise them to keep doing what they're doing or hook into places like Casino Food Co-op or the Seafood Co-ops on the yeah, West Coast? Or, or Umco or, or the like. Um, there's, there's no one-size-fits-all answer to that. So um, so if I, if, I take a, if I take an Almond Co uh, and you talk about cycles, it's really interesting. Um, the Almond, almond um, uh, and, and often the producing market is separate from the end market. So if I take if I take meat, meat prices have never been higher, but the throughput of meat has never been lower. So for an abattoir right now, because everyone's holding off and rebuilding their stock after a number of years of drought, their business has actually shrunk significantly. So the 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 growers are actually making terrific money, but they're not putting it through the through the abattoir. They're they're selling it off or or or, or building their own herd. Now, eventually that will turn and, and it will come through. Armand Co., um, a number of years ago, prices went up and a whole bunch of people got into the into the market. So they were, they were established in 1944, Armand Co. And today they've got about 85% of the growers uh, and about 30% of the market. So a couple of big corporates there that look after that. But their their philosophy very much, and they they work they you know working in competition in a way, but not really against the, the corporates. But their their focus is how do we build the capacity, the production capacity, and lift that whilst whilst the volumes are coming down from our existing members. They've put trees in the ground three, four, five years ago, and all of those crops are coming online. We know they're coming online because you can tell you know, you can model it, but it takes several years to put a bit of you know extra um, capacity in, and it takes a lot of finance to be able to do that. So their their problem actually is being able to hold back new members, etc. So in those industries, it's really difficult. The members that are there, back to that long term thing, they've got the stability of having their fruit being able to be taken. Uh, new entrants into that market are finding it more difficult because the processing is not there. So back to your question of what do you suggest, I always break it down of what are you trying to achieve? So are you trying to move away from something? So you're trying to move away from a lack of transparency or trying to move away from volatility or are you trying to move towards something? You're seeing prices in a particular market 
go through the roof or new markets, um, India, for instance, opening up and you see a new opportunity there that if you could if you could market into a new market or, or what have you, China coming back potentially for, for some markets. So it's in a strategic sense, it's already it's always sitting down and going, is there a problem you're trying to solve here? Is there an opportunity you're trying to get at? And let's get really clear about what that is. And let's make sure the people around around the table actually you're agreeing on what the real priority or what the real focus is that you're trying to achieve. That's the first step. Once you've got that clarity, then you can actually go, okay, what are the alternatives here starting with status quo through to starting our own co-op or, or enticing others to grow, to join ours or to join an, a larger co-op or, or whatever, or to cooperatively working with another co-op. And there are always those various paths to achieve what you're trying to achieve so i don't have a as i said i don't have a one size fits all um, approach to it but i do spend a lot of time coming back to purpose and coming back to what's the actual problem or or opportunity you're trying to solve and it's amazing when i've seen in the past how much strategy is built based on a fuzzy a fuzzy purpose or a fuzzy um, overarching strategic aim um, and quite often it's, it's in platitudes, in lots of words, and I'll say, I'm, not, I'm sorry, I'm a bit confused. I, I see a 30-page business plan here, but I, I don't know how you're going to do it all. What are you doing first, second, and third? So breaking it down and then getting them to actually say, well, what do we need to do first? And that's going to lead us to these opportunities. Or what do we re need to research first to actually build? What conversations or relationships do we need to build to give us opportunities? So... Great thing about cooperatives and, and mutuals is you can play the longer game. And so my, my view with these things is hasten slowly, have something, especially in agriculture, have something that's going to go through the cycle or several cycles and, and be aware, you know, uh, Rudolf Kipling uh, in, in If You Know, uh, imposter is, you know, fantastic success or abject failure um, as a, as a, primary producer you're going to feel both of those over time so how do you build a strategy that can can sort of take you through and and make sure you're reinvesting the the um the, the profits from a great year or, and and propping up and keeping people in business whilst it gets really um calm you know back back to how do we employ how do we keep employing our workforce when we don't have work to do how do we how do we do that you mentioned risk protection and there's the issue of mutuals versus the more traditional co-ops. Mutuals, they're in the finance sector, so there's a lot of guidelines, scrutiny, and they're probably more aware of risk protection. When it comes to the co-ops, particularly ones that have been going mm. 100, 100 plus years, do you have to come in and explain that risk protection, is there kind of not that part of their business plan? Because they think, oh, look, we've been going along. We've got the community backing. We've got mm. this great food product or farm supplies. We don't need to think along those lines. Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And certainly as part of any strategic planning process, I do. Once we've, once we've, got, the, once we've got the plan worked out and we've got the priorities worked out and it's linked, it's linked to the brand, it's linked to their culture, it's linked to all those things, the final part of the puzzle is go, okay, now what could possibly go wrong? And I have the what could possibly go wrong conversation. And I, I did, I had this uh, for actually for, um, for one, of, one of my customers uh, recently, one, one of the ones we've mentioned, and 
over the years, what I worked out is that they had commissioned various reports on this. And they were all at various levels of, of really theoretical to lots of pages to this. And then one report was done five years ago. Another report was done three years ago because every now and again, the board goes, oh, we haven't dealt with our risks. And so I conducted what I call an empty draw, bring out your debt exercise. And I do this with all my clients up front, right? So you've got all these strategies and all of these conversations, all these board meetings, throw it all to me. And I will sift through to work out what's the narrative of the conversation because there will be kernels of really good ideas that you've had three, five, ten years ago that you've forgotten. So these risks are not you. You've dealt with them before, you've had a conversation with them about before, but what is new is the fact that you've forgotten it or the new board member hasn't been inducted on it and there's no central three or four-page document that actually brings together in a very practical way what are the risks of this business from the natural floods, fire, the like, through to the markets ups and ups and down, through to price gouge, through to competitive issues, through to labour force and COVID, we've just been through that, uh, through to bees. Um, you know, the, uh, the, um, there's a, there was a, a mite on the New South Wales bees, which then shut down any bees going across the border into South Australia, etc. And we had beehives that were supposedly going to be looking after this. Well, they couldn't get across the river. So... These are the things that okay, and and very and very basic, but a very good conversation was is how high is the likelihood of this happening, and how devastating is it to your business, and actually getting a conversation about the I'm going to say 15, 10, 15, no more than 20 core risks that can that can really bring you undone, and having the directors separate meeting maybe. You might have a group that off to the one side will do it, but certainly all the directors involved. At the end of that is a document which is three to four pages long. And the first piece is this was created here. And once a year minimum, we will come together and we will reevaluate the ratings and we will update this document. And then it doesn't sit in various drawers. It sits in as an appendix to the board meetings. It sits in an appendix to the strategy meeting and is part of the strategy. And so we're not reinventing the wheel. As risks come and go, that document morphs over time. But that way, the, the learnings of you know, board members, of people who have been in the industry for 20, 30, 50 years, the collective wisdom is encapsulated in, firstly, the story of the upfront of the strategy. Why do we exist? What's our history? What do we do? What do we don't do? Why do people buy us? Why do members, why do members choose to come? All of that documented, reviewed once a year, once every two years. And once a year, it's, it's in every five years, three to five years, it's properly refreshed. But we get to have a conversation about these things. And we keep coming back to is are the base assumptions of the market or the base assumptions of what we agree, are they still true? Great. So why are we going off and doing this now? Uh, well, okay, if we're going off and doing that, what... To, at what expense is that? What are we missing out on as a result of going and wanting to buy this organisation or had one the other day where they wanted to help someone out? I went, that's, that's beautiful. So nice that you want to go and help this other organisation out. That last board meeting you were talking about, you didn't have the capacity and the headspace given the major projects that you had on here to get them through. 
So you going to spend a whole bunch of time and energy helping those people there, is, are, you, are your members going to thank you in two years' time when these projects haven't been delivered? Uh, probably not. Okay, so let's go back there. And once we've sorted that, we can help them. They're getting people to remember it's the members, it's their members first, second and third. Because you're, walk, you're walking a tightrope here in the fact that um, it's increasingly competitive, there's the growth in the co-ops and the mutuals. On that board, their shareholders, they may have been a very successful dairy farmer for 30 years. The co-op itself has been yes. going for 100 years. And then there's corporate governance, all those sort of things. You're walking that tightrope. They're walking a tightrope. And then they've got the community. And no doubt the community, they're always in their uh, director's ears where they just bump into them at a sale. Absolutely. That tightrope um, must get quite difficult. So actually, it's a really interesting point. One of the key things is you do have a number of dynamics that come into any strategic planning process in any board. So you know, most, most co-op boards are made up predominantly of grower members. Um, now, some of, some of those may have uh, worked on a number of boards before, but a number haven't. And so if I was to use the example of the, the, the Fisher, Fisherman's Board of Limestone Coast, very few of them had been on boards before, and some were a little bit intimidated by, oh, we're doing a strategy session. What's that? What have I possibly got to contribute? And so the goal there is to create a process around that, that their views can be put onto the table. In this case, I interviewed all of them ahead of the strategic planning. And so I, I talked to them, and it's really important for me to... Um, to find people where they are. So not, no judgment. It's not, it's not, well, you know, this, they, they know their business. And so my job is to give them the comfort that they actually know their business and they know a lot more. And if I take the big jargon of strategy and brand and all of those things that get buried around and strip all that out and have a conversation about what do you think we need to do? What do you think is working around here? What do you think needs to be different? Where should we spend the next hundred grand or two million or, or whatever it is? And break it down in those sorts of conversations or ahead of the board session. Then you bring and bring a discussion paper in. You're bringing Fred, Mary, uh, Matilda's voice into that meeting, so they're not feeling um, that they can, you know, not have have a say. That's really important because invariably, if Fred hasn't been heard of that meeting, he will come back and there'll be side door conversations to then get in the way. So I'd much prefer to understand. What I'm, I'm looking for, what's not being said? Also, what are the what's the elephant in the room to to, to start a phrase? But what's not being said? What are the taboos here? Let's get a full conversation happening, and let's get everyone's voice heard around the table. So that's a that's a really important piece. The second piece that I find important is you're going to have often you'll have people who've come from a, a for profit environment, maybe as a non exec board member. Um, or as a CEO potentially, in that case, how do, how do I help make sure that there's the, they are aware of how this organisation works as against a for-profit, the fact that you can take a longer term, the fact that you've got more stakeholders that you're really looking for. It's not just about the, the, the shareholder or the member. It's about the community. It's, it's, a, it's about the employees. It's taking a longer-term view across sectors sectors, et cetera. So the tightrope, as you say, is, is just acknowledging 
that we all come from different perspectives, different backgrounds, and giving a voice to all of those different perspectives. The guy who knows nothing about co-ops will have a wealth of information to give about other areas that they've come from, but we need to make sure it's not coloured. Um, similarly, um, sometimes there will be someone who doesn't know they're a bit conflicted, but they're coming from a particular, their own, their own view of how that's going to affect my farm or my produce. And so being able to get them to see that maybe there's a little bit of conflict here and, and make sure that uh, we're having a conversation that benefits all um, rather than them marking up about what impact in the short term that might have on their farm or their, or, or their go-to-market strategy. So just making sure that through the conversations in, in developing the strategy that that's just acknowledged because it's, it's real. Um, it's when it's not acknowledged, it's when it's brushed under the carpet is when you will get it coming up somewhere. Anything, anything that you push down will come up eventually. So through a process of talking to members, through a process of making sure that everyone around the table is heard, having a process of going back to members, make sure that all of those potential objections have been heard and are seen to be heard, even if we don't end up where they want to. So they're the key ingredients in any process that I find is really important and to take some time to do it, not to rush it through because we've got a AGM or whatever. It's making sure that we've got due time and process to have the the you know the in and out through the through the membership, through the exec, through the board. And at the end of the day, everyone being on the same page, understanding why what's been chosen has been chosen. Stephen Shepherd, who's the owner of Altus Q, has been my guest today on the Business Council of Co-ops and Mutuals Meet the Co-op Farmers series of podcasts. Stephen, you've brought a totally different perspective to how we normally look at co-ops and mutuals, not so much from the farming side, but increasingly uh, an important side, the marketing and making sure that they're in touch with the latest trends and where they're going for that community as well. Thanks very much for your time. My, my absolute pleasure. Thank you, Michael. Stephen Shepherd, the head of AltusQ, which works on aspects such as advising boards, succession planning, and what a CEO may provide, in this case with cooperatives. And Michael, in the next Meet the Co-op Farmers podcast, you're looking at the area of financing? That's right, Melina. While co-ops still look at the primary source of funding through membership and shares, when it comes to major projects, they have to look further. And that is just one subject I'll be examining in the next Business Council of Cooperatives and Mutuals Meet the Co-op Farmer podcast. I hope you enjoyed this latest episode of Meet the Co-op Farmers. If you'd like to know anything about setting up or running a successful agricultural cooperative, you can find out everything you need to know at the Co-op Farming website. That's www.coopfarming.coop. That's right, C-O-O-P for cooperative. Please, share this with your mates. If you enjoyed this story, we really do want to get the great stories of farming cooperation out there. And remember, in a troubled world, with all of the challenges but also the opportunities we have, we really are better together. I'm Melina Morrison and I look forward to seeing you on the next episode of Meet the Co-op Farmers.